Matthew Evans, welcome to today's Triple P. And what's up for today's Triple P, Randy Bazra? Look, obviously, um, we generally call ourselves the, the Triple P, which stands for um, Procurement Project Podcast. Today, we're, we're going to change it up a little bit. Today, we're going to change our name to the Triple Three. Well, you know I like a catchy jingle. So, okay, let me let me take a stab at this. Um, triple Three... Yep. Think think of the, the number three. What's so significant about the number three for today? So our guest is Kristen Athos. Um, she's at one of the big banks. Uh, she's under 30. Correct. There's one of your threes. Uh, what else? What else? What else? Um, she's saved about $30 million. Huh? Tick, tick, tick. So we're, we're there. What's, what's that last three? I don't know what the last three is. Three years experience in procurement. Is that right? Yeah, which is which is amazing, right? So, three years experience in procurement, um, had a career change, now working for a big four bank, working on a portfolio of around 150 million at the moment. Um, look, it, it's it's pretty impressive. And and this is quite interesting because I mean she's going to run us through, I would imagine, just a little bit about her uh, her, her how she got into procurement. But as you well know, um, careers are something that we're very passionate about here, and uh, and. This is an interesting one because we talk about how procurement can be a fantastic career choice. And she's pretty much, you know, demonstrating that right now. She did a career change. She was a lawyer. Was that right? Yeah, she was a lawyer. Yep. Did a career change into procurement. um, Three years worth of experience. And she has a lot more responsibility than what most people would have. And a lot more opportunity to make a difference in her business than a lot more people would have with three years of experience. And I think about someone who comes into a sales, sales sort of force, uh, you're not going to have the chance to, to, to do $10 million a year in your first three years, are you? Yeah, that's exactly what it is. And, and look, one of the, 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 the huge things is, you know, she has a really good backing from the business. Um, and they're all aboard with, you know, changing the way procurement is looked at. So, um, hey, you know what? Let's get into it. Let's, uh, let's go. Kristen, let's talk about your background. Are you an engineer or a finance background in procurement? Um, I'm not. I'm a lawyer in procurement, funnily enough. So I did a law degree. Yep. I worked as a legal researcher for several years. Uh, we, as part of my work there, I advised several different African governments on women's rights um, after the Civil War. I was part of the Royal Commission uh, into Institutional Child Sexual Abuse in, in Australia. Yeah, wow, it's amazing. Um, and then I worked for a law firm for all the three days before I quit. Oh, I love it. I love these <laughs> stories. So... So hang on, so nothing to do with business and procurement when you were, were in sort of the legal field. You come out, you go to work for a law firm three days, right? Didn't work out? Why? I don't know, it just didn't, it didn't suit me and, and the personality. Um, I found it really constrictive. Um, I needed to operate in a little box and it was very linear, very hierarchical, which is, which is fine. Um, but I, I didn't like the rigidity of the law. But isn't procurement boxes and rigidity well i mean you get to have fun in your little box um you get to manage categories of spend and categories of so for example i manage software um procurement at one of the big fours um but i get to do what i what i like with that space so i manage the vendors i run my own negotiations i work with the stakeholders do there's no there's no rule book for procurement it, it sounds like you're actually really passionate about procurement now, right? So we didn't even ask you about procurement, and you, you've just started talking about it, which is amazing, right? But 
you know, once you decided, okay, I need to get out of law, it's not something I'm into, I'm not enjoying it, it doesn't fit my personality, how did procurement even come into this? It was actually, funnily enough, by chance. So I thought I needed to expand my knowledge base, expand my experience, try something outside of the law. Um, I circulated my resume, someone picked it up uh, who works in procurement and um, thought that my skills were transferable enough to be able to do this role. I told her that I really enjoyed my negotiation course. She said that that was perfect fit for the role uh, and she taught me all about technology. Um, and and procurement through the three years that I've been there. So, okay. So, there's that big word again, Matt, that we we talked about last time: negotiations. Right? Why is negotiating so important? Well, I mean, you need to find uh, a middle ground between what the supplier wants and what you want as the consumer. So, um, one of the biggest ones is price. Usually yeah, right. you're at odds. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody will walk away with more or less money. Mm-hmm. And so that usually needs to be negotiated based on the perceived value, the market value, the money that you have. Um, and to get the best deal for the for the right term and with all the bells and whistles, you need to negotiate those things. So it's always difficult for us to do these pods because in part we know you, right? And we're trying to have a conversation which also spoke, speaks to the third person. But there's things that we have to talk about with you because there's some really interesting things that, that you, you have and there's some really interesting ways that you put things together and frame them. One of them that you spoke about earlier was was around objective pricing. And I know that we, we focus too much on cost when it comes to procurement, but let's handle the cost thing and then we can move on. You, you said something about how what you do is in part buying as objectively as possible and away from relationships. Can you maybe just come back to that? Yeah, so um, I was talking about how uh, suppliers generally... They buy with relationships, or they sell through relationships, right? Yeah, so they would price things differently according to who they're selling it to. So, for example, working with one of the big four, they presume that the wallets are very deep, um, and they will price things according to the perceived value that this technology will give the bank uh, in using it. So... Um, What I try to do in my negotiations is break down the different elements of that software um, and and compare it against the market. What's the inherent value of the actual technology itself, not the value that we are going to get uh, either using it with our customers or using it internally? That's that's not really relevant in my opinion. I'm just I'm just thinking about general business. Is is that normal practice? I don't think like I'm, I'm also thinking the same thing like. So what you're saying is that people charge you a different price based on who you are, right? Is that, that what you're saying? Well, um, based on, on how big of a company you are, how much money you might have, how uh, inclined you are to buy the product. So, for example, one of the things that we do often is renegotiate contracts that we've been stuck in for 5, 10, 15 years or just that have rolled over. Um, so if you're inclined to keep buying it, the price will continue to go up because you're reliant on it. So we find ourselves in situations where we're uh, very reliant on, on supplies that have been in the bank for a really long time. Um, and we can't move away from that because, and we need to keep paying it because they know that we need them. Uh, and it will, take, uh, it will cost us way more to shift off their, off their software and off their platforms. So, okay. So you've had a say you've got a, a contract that you've had for ten years and okay, let's 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 talk properly, right? You're getting ripped off, right? Because of who you are. How do you negotiate that when it comes to the end of the contract? 
Well, I mean, you could talk about the market leverage. You could yeah. say that you are looking into uh, other options um, and shifting your money elsewhere in the future. You could... Um, Hang on. So, so for everything that you're buying, we assume that there's more than one option, right? Well, yeah. I mean, unless they are a brand new... Um, startup or fintech and their their technology is groundbreaking and they're the only ones that are selling it there are most certainly other people who will sell that technology to you for cheaper and usually if they're not even within your business yet so you haven't bought anything from them uh, they will try and sell it to you uh, cheap and fast and uh, in terms of conditions and the bells and whistles that you like it uh, because they want your business but when you've had when like a supplier has had your business for 10 20 years um, the dynamic completely shifts. There's no customer focus or there's mm -hmm. less customer focus and it's more you need us so these this is what you're going to pay and this is what you will do to continue to receive our service. So what's the best negotiation, the biggest win negotiation you ever had? Um, on a percentage basis, I saved about 55% on a new piece of software with one of my major vendors. How? Well, uh, I mean, I used the relationship to a degree. I understood um, their interests and I also understood what the rest of the market was doing. So uh, because I, I had managed them for the past two years and knew how much we spent on every piece of technology to that date, how much we spend on support and maintenance and professional services and everything else. And I put that all together uh, against the, the new quote for the new piece of fancy software that they were selling. Um, and said that as part of this process, I'd have to go to market, but I'm not even going to bother because when I try to, uh, when I, when I'm comparing them against themselves, they're coming up high. Mm. Um, so I gave them a cost range, and that was uh, the only budget that we had to spend. So that's what I needed to work with, um, and we had had several rounds of negotiations that just went um, that went nowhere initially. But uh, you get the right person in the room, and you. Uh, I mean, you prove what your partnership with them and uh, is. You can get to the right price. I, I've always wondered on on the negotiations that you that you guys do in procurement. Is it is it just a one phone call negotiation and, and we're done at the end of it and a contract gets sent out or how does it work? I mean, I, I'm I'm trying to think of it from a recruitment point of view as well. I mean, we negotiate fees every now and again and and uh, negotiate salaries and it can be done in just a one phone call, right? How does it work um, you know, with a 55% saving, which is huge, it's amazing. Absolutely not one phone call. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's generally several rounds. So, I mean, it depends how big the deal is, but it'll generally take a month of um, weekly meetings at least to, to get it done. Um, you know, you initially put forward your... your Rationale... Yeah, what you're asking, what your requirements are, what yeah. your expectations are, they will respond, you won't agree, yeah. you'll try and find a middle ground, they'd go back, they'd try and get approvals, you stick to your guns, um, and you get your stakeholder buy-in, so the people that you're buying for, if they, if you say one thing and they back you up until the cows come home, you'll mm -hmm. generally get the result that you're looking for. That, that's so, amazing. And, and, and one thing that we talk about a hell of a lot is... Especially procurement, a lot, a lot of the positions that we, we we work with and we're trying to fill and the partnerships that we're making, all of our clients now are, are talking about stakeholder management, right? They're mm -hmm. talking about the importance of being able to talk to our partners and being able to talk to 
people within the business and without the business. How have you found that coming, you know, from a legal background, right? How have you found your stakeholder management? Uh, well, I, I generally try to build trust with my stakeholders so they can trust me to run with this piece of work because usually they're the ones that have the relationship with the supplier. So they, they tend to think that, well, they tend to feel like they, they know best for what this is. Yeah. But, um, but I mean, I do this every day. So yeah. I, I start off with advising them about what the best outcome could be. Mm-hmm. Um, and build the yeah. from there. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. It's a big thing, like, and I know that we're, we're focusing on the cost saving right now, but part of the reason why we're having the conversation is because, you know, when we started this this, this journey, it wasn't just about interesting stories and shapeshifters, it was about people who'd saved more than 10 million. You've, I mean, you're sub 30, right? Yeah. In three years, and I look at this as opposed to other careers, in three years, you're managing a spend which runs to the hundreds of millions, you've saved tens of millions of dollars for your organization, which... For me, as someone who likes to play with, with investments and shares, I think about it from a, from a shareholder investment perspective and how, how, how amazing that must be if I could have five of you or ten of you or whatever the case is. But, yeah. but from your perspective, that, that seems like a heck of a lot of growth in three years and a lot more responsibility than the next person who's been doing a and other job in three years. Do you think that's fair? Do you think that that's right? Yeah, definitely. It's a lot of responsibility uh, and and money to be dealing with at such a, a young age or or a young uh, part of my career. Um, and I'm I'm really lucky to be in a role where I get to work with that much money on a daily basis. Yeah. Um, that's one of the biggest reasons why I love my job and I love negotiating with this money. Um, but it also comes down to the organization that I work for. We spend about one billion dollars in. In uh, on IT every year, so naturally my portfolio, my responsibilities will match that as part of the procurement team. So, awesome! That's that's really good. So, got a question for you. Um, your job title is IT commercial manager. Is that correct? Yes, that is okay. correct. So, talk to me about the IT side of it. Are you are you an IT geek? Do you love IT? Are you into the big systems? Are you are you into all that kind of thing? Well, I mean, I think it's interesting, but I'm not an IT geek by any means. I had okay. no idea about any sort of technology before I started this. I kind of learnt on the job, learnt with every different contract. Yeah. Um, I was kind of interested in the technology that I was uh, contracting for, so just that natural interest grew my knowledge base. But yeah. uh, over the three years, um, naturally, my IT knowledge grew as well. But uh, it's a really fascinating space. It's definitely the future of everything yeah. you could say so it's an interesting space to be in especially in procurement because um lots of organizations are spending more and more money on their technology on their infrastructure on on being market leaders in in like cool ai that they're offering their customers or or whatever it is so yeah right. i think it's really interesting so just, just to bounce on the question of ai um you know in 10 years time is uh, is procurement going to be an AI business, is it going to be robots doing it? Is it going to be systems doing it? Or does it still need that human touch? No, I think, uh, I mean, AI could help us um, inform our decisions or inform what market prices for things. But at the end of the day, I think procurement is very much people skills. It's um, understanding people's interests in things and what outcomes that they need and helping them get to that. Uh, It's a lot of creative thinking, um, finding solutions where there doesn't seem to be an obvious one. Um, and it's a lot of, yeah, understanding 
and talking to people. So I don't mm. think that robots could replace yeah, us. Yeah, computer, I don't think we'll ever be able to do that. What do you think, Matt? Is that, do you think that's different from a, from a traditional view of procurement? Because oftentimes it's been seen to be um, an inhibitor of success. And the way that you talk about procurement, it's not about that. You know, you're trying to save the bottom line, bring in the best suppliers. But do you think that there's a shift? And do you think that people used to view it as sort of the gatekeepers, the inhibitors of success? Yeah. I mean, I see that now even because um, an inhibitor of success, What if that means like getting getting something implemented as fast as possible, obviously it's going to take time for another person to review and have these negotiations. Mm. You know, naturally, sometimes they take this process might take a month uh, to get to the right point. But at the end of the day, if if my input and the value to the business is saving you, I don't know, five million with one conversation or a month's worth of conversations, um, how could you... I, I think that that's successful at the end of the day. I mean, that money speaks for itself, so it might uh, enable the success of uh, a, a different avenue or, or funding something else. So I think that... Um, our procurement role is sometimes overlooked with the value that we bring. I agree. And, and that's something that we're, we're sort of learning as we go along, right? So there's definitely a shift change in terms of how people view procurement. Um, and it seems also that you sort of view procurement a little bit differently. I know that you've got some strong views on, on data protection, not just in terms of the consumer, but also in terms of if, if big data and companies like the big search engines and, and Facebook, etc., were treating corporations like they treat consumers, things would go bad really quickly. Yeah, well, I'm, I, I see that that already exists today with, um, with the consumers. So things even like uh, Uber and surge pricing, uh, everyone would be familiar with that. And that happens with big corporations versus small startups. Mm. When uh, a supplier tries to sell a piece of technology, naturally they will mark up the price for, example, one of the big fours with, uh, with a big wallet compared to a smaller company so dynamic pricing is definitely a thing um, and and big data I guess um, the inherent value of of what that technology is worth versus how inclined you are to pay for it um, it will it will naturally shift the way that procurement works is there a big disruptor coming well it depends I think um, I think that big data will disrupt the way that that we buy and sell globally for anything. Big corporations, little consumers, um, and everything in between. Um, when any company or, or corporation has access to your personal information, your financial information, um, and your ha- habits, um, they, will buy in, they will sell you things at different prices. Yep. Um, there's a thing called dynamic pricing or discriminatory pricing where um, people who have more money will will be shown a higher price and people who have shopped at one place before and shops there habitually uh, will also be shown a higher price because it's it's convenient versus um, a discounted price for people who haven't ever shopped there before. I actually um, was ordering Uber Eats on Friday with someone sitting right next to me and we were looking at the price of the same pizza uh, and his was $19 and mine was $14 and, and I had... And we had realized that he bought uh, that pizza before and I hadn't. And this was on Uber Eats. So, so, so you were both sitting together on the app yeah, and looking at the same pizza. Yeah. That's, that's incredible. So um, it's actually, I think it's here. And none of us uh, even realized that 
that we're subject to this and that it's because of data mining, because of things that we use through uh, the, and the permissions through Facebook and Google and WhatsApp and everything else. Um, they're tracking the way that we, that we spend, that we buy, same thing, um, and, and sell accordingly. Could, so could you imagine that uh, if, if a, a seller had access to, I don't know, an algorithm that showed you um, or showed them how you spend and what you're inclined to buy, they would shift the pricing accordingly. Mm-hmm. Um, and that will just revolutionize the way that we buy and sell things globally. Because this relates to what you said earlier, which I thought was quite crazy in terms of people will sell you the same thing based on your bank balance, they'll charge you more, right? And that's yeah. what you, you, you alluded to that earlier, which I find really odd. And Randy, you were saying that that's not the way business is done, right? We're all looking for price, security, and visibility up front. And I feel like we're banging on on price here, but this is quite important. And within a corporate perspective, if you're giving away that data and people can choose how they're going to and how they're going to price whatever it is that they're giving you, your job is to, to really be the barrier there, which means you've got to be a subject matter expert, but you're not a tech expert. So how do you manage that? Well, I mean, I guess you, you just need to be aware of what's happening. And um, I guess if in a contractual perspective, you'd contract around it. Um, you would negotiate the price around it especially if you're aware that as a, as a big corporation, you might be subject to the dynamic inflated pricing. Um, I mean, it, it, yeah, it happens. All the time, right? Like we're a big business and, mm. and I'm sure that we are subject to the same, but I think Randy also brought it up earlier. We, we negotiate quite often, right? It, it's part of what we do in recruitment. Oftentimes what we're doing is we're trying to, to get the best possible salary for someone. We're also trying to get someone at the best, best possible price for our, for our, for our clients. Um, in that way, it's a bit procury, but I'll step away from that for <laughs> just a second. In, in terms of you, so you've done three years of procurement now. You obviously seem to be really passionate and you really enjoy what you do. What's kept you activated? What's kept you going, hey man, this is great? Oh, I just find it so exciting. I think um, when, I, when I'm working with different people on different contracts with different technologies, um, no day is like the previous and every situation um, calls for a different outcome and a different creative solution and there are different interests at play and I find the dynamics really interesting and I like to, uh, I really enjoy negotiating. Um, I think the the big money and the portfolio that I manage, I, I feel like it has inherent value there and I want to uh, show the value that my role can play in, um, in giving some money back to the organization that I work for. Um, but where everyone walks walks away happy. So um, I'm a little bit of a people pleaser. I, I love to understand what my stakeholders need and also what the supplier wants and how we can we can find a middle ground. And um, yeah, I just, I find it really fun. Do you think that, that sort of the software supply chain is gonna see changes when we start talking more and more about sustainable procurement, social procurement, modern slavery, all of these things. Do you think that there's space or do you think that it's a relatively clean and white sort of space to be procuring products? Uh, I think I think that I don't know what I think about that really. Fair enough. And that might change. Yeah. Um, I mean, the Modern Slavery Act is, is in and, and we have, I mean, in our organisation, certain countries that we need to be cautious who we trade with um, and and kind of understand where this technology came from um, and how it was built and created and how it got to us. And it's, it, 
it, it's the same for any kind of um, product. thing, product. Yeah. So uh, I think we need to be more mindful of it, but I, I don't know enough. Fair enough. Randy? Chris, one thing that you mentioned earlier was that you were really fortunate you know, to be able to get into procurement, you, you've got a great mentor, right? And someone who trusted you and, and thought that your skill set, they could teach, teach you more about procurement and more about IT and, and commercial management. What's the greatest lesson that you've learned so far, do you think? I mean, three years? If you could sum it all up for your great lost auntie, what would it be? <laughs> uh a tricky one right yeah it's, it's, it's look it's a real hard one and, and the reason i'm asking you is because you didn't you didn't set out to go into procurement right it it, it didn't happen by accident you were you were chosen based on your background and someone has taken some time to mentor you and work with you and to get you to where you are now and not everybody is going to be as lucky to be able to move from from one industry into a new industry and be able to to work for a huge organization on a on a massive spend and with lots of money and, and actually have an impact on what you're doing, right? You're, you're saving $30, $40 million or whatever the, the, the number is over a three-year period. You must have learned something really, really important in that, in that three years. Well, I, I learned that I need to do things with confidence. So I came into this, this role without any knowledge um, and I relied on, on the base skills that I have and I ran with that. So... Uh, I found myself in lots of situations that I, I was a little bit out of depth, but yeah. I kind of um, I understood what the outcome needed to be, yeah. and I pursued that with confidence in whichever direction I thought would be effective to go there. But but finding myself in this role, what that taught me was that um, nothing really goes according to plan. You know, okay. I did my law degree, and I and I didn't become a lawyer. Um, and there are so many different things that you could do with your skill set that aren't you know um, right there in front of you that that make clear sense in your career path and procurement is one of those things that um, that is really dynamic and versatile um, and I would I would after this experience about how much I love my role and how lucky I am to be in it um, I would take the leap and try something new in future with that confidence because um, because careers are fluid these days, I think. And procurement, I think, gives you a strong understanding of, of the back end of the business. You know, whether that means you're staying in procurement and you're doing a traditional line towards a CPO, or you're, you're being able to be grown as a business professional and understand what's happening, you know, in terms of the purchasing, the sourcing, the buying, the negotiation, all that back end, and move that into a different part of commercial management within a business. Do you feel like you're 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 a lot more prepared for for that now? Absolutely. So in procurement, you're exposed to so many different stakeholder groups, um, the requirements, whether it's um, even even for a bank, for example, front end customer facing people, back end the dev, the uh, infrastructure guys. Um, you understand what needs to go in place for each of those different business units and, um, and even the internal processes of getting something across the line and spending multi-million dollars. There is so much that I have been exposed to through that. So um, absolutely, it's definitely given me an eye open about how corporations work uh, mm. and, and how do you go from idea to idea to actual tangible thing that you would use. So as a product, for example. So I love it. I love it. Under 30, huge portfolio, saved millions of dollars, 
three years in it. I, I, honestly, like I think it's really interesting the way that you've done this, and and I, I, I commend your organisation as well in terms of giving the opportunity. I think it's fantastic. If they want to connect with you or have a chat with you, Kristen Athos, best to get you on LinkedIn. Yeah, LinkedIn is the place. There you go, Randy Basra. Lovely hanging out with you. We got to wrap it up. Matthew, thanks, thanks again today. Christine, it's been great. I think it's really refreshing to see someone's come from a legal background and it's not just your stereotypical finance or engineering or logistics or supply chain background to, to go into procurement. Obviously, one of the things that we want to do is we want to show people out there that you don't have to come from a traditional background to go into procurement and it's open for lots of other industries and the diversity is, is fantastic. So it's been awesome having you. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks um, for having me. And yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll catch up again soon.